So I have to tell you what happened to me this morning at 5 o'clock. It's tough to talk about. Steve had asked me to preach some weeks ago, a couple of months ago. I had talked to friends about it. I had studied, I had thought, I had written. Worked yesterday, it felt good. Five o'clock came this morning. And I was told to stop and not preach that sermon. And so here we are. It wasn't that it was bad or it wasn't that it was wrong, I felt. But I was told that that wasn't what needed to be said today. So I'm as puzzled as you are. The text we have for today is in your, your uh, bulletin, and that's the one we'll be using. When I heard the choir sing this morning, I thought, yeah, this is, this is my prayer. If thou but trust in God to guide thee. And so here we go. Um, I don't know about you, but the events in our lives, the events of the mass murders in Christchurch, New Zealand, 49 people going to worship, now it's 51 have died. We read our newspaper, and now on the metro section, there's a counting of how many people have died in Jacksonville, have been killed in Jacksonville. The text for today is a cosmic slamming on of brakes by Jesus. And that was the word to me. It's time to put on the brakes and think about this. Especially as we're making a Lenten journey, a spiritual journey. How are we finding the Spirit? How is it directing us? What is the Spirit saying to us? So if I ignore that at 5 o'clock this morning, I always thought to myself, I'm going to be in trouble. And I'll just go with it. So here we are. Here we are gathered. We have a tough text, I think. In chapter 9 of Luke, this is 13 for today, so we back up a little bit. In chapter 9, Jesus says, I'm turning my face to Jerusalem. At that point, Jesus decides and tells his disciples and others who are listening, I'm turning my face to Jerusalem, which means he is going to Jerusalem. He is going to the seat of power. He is going to his faith tradition's ancient home. He is on his way. He knows what's going to happen. He knows it's not going to go popularly. But he's turning his face. And the words that come after that in transition, as Luke tells the story, are words of haste. On the next day, as they were going along, now as they went on their way, Jesus has a mission. Jesus knows what his mission is. He look, if you look at the fourth chapter of Luke, and I didn't bring the Bible over with me, excuse me. It's what happens when you're not following your sermon notes. 
If you turn, and if you have your pew Bibles, if you turn in Luke, the fourth chapter, well, okay, Carol. About verse 20, 19, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, Jesus is reading from Isaiah, recovery of sight to the blind, and to let the oppressed go free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Physically, mentally, spiritually, oppressed people, poor people, Jesus has come to bring the good news, and now he has set his face toward Jerusalem, and he is on his way sharing the good news in ways that are powerful and strong and clear. He is moving along toward that moment. And we get to Luke 13, 31, our text for today. And the brakes are slammed on by Jesus, by Jesus. I'll share the text with you now. Let's listen to God's word. May God speak to each of us and all of us. And may we be hearers and doers of God's word. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus said to them, Go and tell that fox for me, Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today, tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet, today, tomorrow, and the next day I must be on my way because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I have desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you are not willing. See, your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. As hard as it is, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. At 8 o'clock this morning, I sat here in the sanctuary and made some notes. Jesus has stopped. If we can see ourselves standing in the group gathered around him, if we can imagine ourselves standing around as the Pharisees come to Jesus and we see the Pharisees tapping Jesus on the shoulder and saying, hey, don't go to Jerusalem. They want to kill you. They want to kill you. And Jesus stops what he's doing. I bet you've had one of those moments when you have this great clear thought in your mind about what you're doing or you're pondering something or you're studying something and somebody bursts in the room, I need a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Could you please come and change the light in the bathroom? One of those kind of moments and this thought that you've had, this place that you've been thinking is gone forever. 
and you get involved in fixing something, in doing something or pairing something. I can see Jesus at this very moment as the Pharisees are tapping him on the shoulder. I can see him stop. Stop what he's doing. It's cosmic brake slamming on time and he turns to them and says, no, I am not leaving my mission. No, you go tell that fox, that sly person, that murderer, you go tell him that I have a mission, that I have purpose, that I have something I've got to do and I'm going to do it. I'm going to cure. I'm going to cast out demons. I'm going to do it today and tomorrow and the next day. And then there'll be time. Then there'll be time to talk with Herod. That fox. And he says, I have wanted to gather the people of Jerusalem under my wing. I have wanted to care for them as a hen cares for its chicks. Jesus begins to lament Jerusalem, the very place that he's going. He begins to lament Also in his head has to be the thought that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been beheaded by Herod already just recently. And so I can imagine that his heart is heavy, knowing that he's next on the list. And he knows that he's going into Jerusalem, which historically has been the place where Jesus' people, the people of Israel, have worshipped where they've told their stories, where they've come before God, where they have heard God's word and celebrated. And now it's a place of lament for Jesus. And for those of us standing and watching this unfold, But the phrase that stopped me this morning as I was reading over this text was the phrase, see your house is left to you. See your house is left to you. As we're making a spiritual journey together, as we're seeking to draw closer to Christ, to draw closer to God, I began to think, yeah, what am I doing? How am I managing that in my house? How is my spiritual house? How is my mental house? How is my family household dealing with that? Here we have self-sacrificing love in Christ. He wants to gather us under his wing. He wants to take us in even though he knows that he will die. Self-sacrificing love of a mother hen and her chicks. Jesus wants to stop and care for us. What am I doing in my house in response to that? If my house is left to me, what kind of choices Am I making? Richard Rohr is a Franciscan priest. We quote him sometimes here in this place. He had 
an insight that helped me with this, challenged me with this, didn't save me this morning, are you? But it gave me this to think about. He translates the beginning of John's gospel this way. He says, in the beginning, is this the way it's written? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Now, the Greek for that word is logos. We say word. Richard Rohr would like us to change that to blueprint. Think about that. In the beginning was the blueprint. And the blueprint was with God, and the blueprint was God. And all things came to be through this inner plan. So I began thinking, what what do I do with this blueprint? What is the blueprint? How should I build my house? How should I in these Lenten days be thinking about this house? This house that's left to me, this piece of scripture, which I think is a showstopper in Luke's gospel. Obviously, Luke was seized by this moment as well and had to say these words. So how are we going to build this house that Christ is calling us to look at? We know how to do it because Christ is the blueprint. So what do we see in that? Our lives have a blueprint. Well, we have love as a foundation, right? We have love as a foundation. We have walls for care and protection and nurture. And I would argue that there are windows. Windows for the light of justice and truth and grace to come shining through into our darkness and reconciliation. And it's all held together under a powerful roof. The strong roof of God's steadfast presence and faithfulness to us. The protective wings of the mother hen. How about your house? Stopped me this morning. I've been thinking about it a lot longer than you have in a lot more fearful place probably. But I invite you to to join me in, in listening to what Luke has done here in this text. Especially as he set Jesus on the journey toward Jerusalem and now it's come to a screeching halt. I've got things to do, Jesus says, and they're things that are my mission statement. There are things there, my purpose for being here, to heal and to listen and to love and to care for and to sacrifice, self-sacrifice for all of you. The chickens under my wings. Three questions have come to mind as I have thought about this. They're the questions I will be pushing around in my house, my spiritual house in the coming days. What is giving you 
What is giving me life right now? Jesus was alive in his moment. He was alive going to his death. He was fully alive and engaged. He was purposeful and meaningful. What is giving you life right now? And for what are you and I willing to die for? What are we willing to die for? If we see self-sacrificing love in this journey, what brings us to that moment? I'll share with you a story where this became really vivid to me. Our son was asked to go to the Naval Academy and play basketball. He's a tiny kid of six, seven. Um, Don't know where his height came from, right? Um, he was asked to come at a certain time and join a line of other plebes going into the Naval Academy. Different than our daughter who we took to college with boxes and boxes and suitcases of stuff. He had a plastic bag with six pairs of underwear and six pairs of socks. That was it. So we joined the line. The line was long And we stood in line maybe an hour. And every so often, a young woman, a young man would walk up the steps and go into this huge building, this huge auditorium. We were about 25 in line. And I could see that there were people walking up and down in uniform, talking to the first families that were in line ahead of us. And then I'd see the child the young adult, go up the stairs into this big building. As we got closer, I realized that they were chaplains. And they were talking from all the different faith traditions. They were the naval chaplains assigned to that duty of comforting parents and plebes as they got closer to the place that they were going. I was fine till we were three. It got worse when we were two. And what I, sorry, this is going to be hard to say. What I realized when it was one, that this mother hen could no longer protect her chick. That her chick was now going off and would be with people who would hopefully protect him protect the others around us as they went to protect our country. It was just a couple of years before 9-11. And I realized that this chicken no longer, there was nothing this chicken could do, this hen could do, to save her little chick. He was off and belonged to somebody else and would be in somebody else's care and somebody else's love. We would still be there, but not as close. Couldn't reach out and grab him in. And that was the, the feeling that overwhelmed me in this, as we talk about self-sacrificing love. How powerful 
that can be? What are we willing to die for? He was committed to this country and to peace and to justice, and he was willing to die for it. And I was the mother hen that wanted to pull him back home. And I think the ultimate question that goes with these two questions about what is giving you life right now and what are you willing to die for is this one. Jesus looks at you. He looks at me directly in the eye. Jesus looks at you directly in the eye. And he says, are you going with me? Are you going with me? It's a tough question. Amen.